This is a Rooster Teeth production. Close your eyes. Okay. Picture a passenger jet. Are you picturing a jet, Chris? Yeah, sorry. Was that a cold open? Did I mess It was a cold, cold open, but it's a warm open now. Okay. You're picturing a passenger jet in your head, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. How many engines does it have? Four. That's a common answer. I think most people would say two, four. But how many people would say three? Because chances are most people are not thinking about tri-jets, and tri-jets do exist, and they used to be really popular. So that being said, do you ever wonder... Why don't we see any new trijet airplanes manufactured anymore? I do wonder that now. Yeah. What goes into deciding how many engines a plane has? Well, today you're going to find out all about ETOPS and why we don't see new trijets anymore in this bonus episode of Black Box Down. This is a good warm open. Hey, everyone, it's Black Box Down. New hot warm open with Chris and Gus. <laughs> Can I open my eyes now? Or I- yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Open your eyes. <laughs> okay. Listeners don't have to. I mean, normally you don't, you don't need your eyes to listen to a podcast, but... Uh, yeah, especially if you're driving. Keep them open. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Open them, please. You know, we're still between what we call regular seasons of Black Box Down, so we're doing a little supplementary episode. It's kind of about tri-jets and this concept called ETOPS, which we're going to get into here in just a bit. So if you remember, there was a period in time, you know, we've talked about all kinds of planes on this show. And typically, you know, we talk about planes with two engines or four engines, but we have covered incidents with tri-jet planes. Specifically, if you're trying to think of them, it would be like DC-10s, Lockheed L-1011 Tri-Stars. I don't think we've done any episodes about MD-11s, but that would be another example of a tri-jet. And there's basically, for the most part, it's, it's you would say it's a plane with an engine under each wing and then an engine in the vertical stabilizer in the back. Mm-hmm. So there was a period in time where these planes were really popular in, you know, the 70s, 80s, and maybe even the 90s. These were everywhere. So we're going to go back. We'll do a little bit of history. It's a little bit of a history lesson in today's episode of Black Box Down. Okay. In the 50s, jet engine aircraft became super popular, right? Uh, They started taking over for piston-driven propeller engines. And we've talked about this before, the rise of the Boeing 707 is credited as the beginning of the jet age for commercial flight. But in the 1960s, as the technology advanced, there was a rise in three-engine jets. And the first commercial tri-jets were the Boeing 727 and the HS-121 Trident. That's actually the uh, Hawker Sidley Trident. Uh We have not done any episodes about that plane. (laughs) So those were like the initial tri-jets. Both those planes were designed to offer long-range capabilities at a lower capacity as compared to like the 747, for example. And the 747, just for reference, has four engines. And a big selling point for the 727 specifically was its ability to take off from shorter runways and smaller airports. Aviation regulations were also a big force in shaping trijets and their place in the airline industry. So one of the things that caused the demand for trijets in the first place is Mm -hmm. what's known as ETOPS. ETOPS. E-T-O-P-S. It's probably something most flyers never think about. ETOPS stands for Extended Range Twin Engine Operational Performance Standards. Get an E-T-O-P-S? Mm-hmm. You're right. Never thought about it. <laughs> so colloquially, people like me who are like really big nerds about aviation and people in the aviation industry will jokingly say that it stands for Engines Turn or Passenger Swim. And <laughs> it's just basically a rule dictating how far a plane is allowed to travel, worst case scenario, if it goes down to only one engine, mm. or if it loses an engine, I guess I should say. So in the earliest iteration of these regulations, there was a 60-minute ETOPS rule, which meant if a twin jet plane was flying, 
it could fly no further away than 60 minutes from an airport it could divert to. Okay. They're just planning for, if there's an engine failure, it has to be able to land within 60 minutes. Which makes sense. You don't want it flying with only one engine. Right. Because obviously something's wrong. So this 60-minute distance was calculated using the aircraft's speed with one engine inoperative in still air with no wind. So if the plane had to divert for some reason, it needs enough fuel in order to fly for 60 more minutes to another airport, and they need to prepare as if they would only be operating with one engine. And, uh, you know, we've talked about some of these things in in previous episodes where um, planes lose an engine and how they have to account for that. Yeah. These rules also mandated that twin jet aircraft were only permitted to fly on routes that keep the plane close to suitable airports at all times. So all this sounds fine, right? Like in your Mm -hmm. head, you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you don't want a plane flying too far away from an airport in case something goes wrong. Yeah. Well, think about this. What happens when a plane has to fly over the ocean? I was wondering that. Like, (laughs) You were. (laughs) Well, I was like, I guess there's nothing you can do. It's just crappy. You're right. It was crappy, but maybe not in the way you were thinking. But what happened is planes, like for example, we'll give an example flight here. Let's say you're flying from New York to London. Uh-huh. Normally, nowadays, you fly and you go over the ocean and you get there pretty much as, you know, in a straight line as quickly as you can. Back then, when the rules were that you, know, you could only go 60 minutes away from an airport, planes had to fly up to Canada, down oh. past Greenland, close to Iceland, and then down to London. So they didn't take a straight line. Oh. They had to fly this really roundabout way in order to get there. So flights took a lot longer. And that was just so that they could be near airports with only... Right. That way they could adhere to this ETOPS 60 rule. I'm going to recommend uh, a video right now for pe- people who are interested in this. There's a great video made uh, by a YouTube channel called Wendover Productions. I think the name of the video is Small Planes, Big Oceans. The whole point of that video is to talk about ETOPS and trijets. It's like a lot more information uh, about this topic. And the, he brings up, in his video, he brings up a very interesting point. So, you know, we ta- we just talked about New York to London. In his video, he talks about the development of Hawaii as a state. Mm-hmm. Hawaii was so isolated with no diversion airports that there was no way for a twin jet airplane to fly to any of the islands. It had to be a trijet or four jet plane. So back then, you know, it would be like a four jet plane. Like only 747s could fly to Hawaii essentially for a while. Oh. Hmm. So as a result, they could only land in Honolulu, which is why only until fairly recently, within the past couple of decades, whenever you heard about like Hawaii tourism, you only ever heard about going to Honolulu. And that's why Oahu as an island developed and, you know, was so built out compared to the other islands because that's really the only place that they could fly tourists into. Because wow. otherwise tourists would have to fly to Honolulu, then connect on a smaller plane to get to any of the other islands. Hmm. I'd never thought about that. Honestly, I hadn't either until I saw that video. It's like, oh, that makes sense. That's why only recently within, you know, as... We're going to get into why. Uh, it's only recently since then that, you know, now airlines can fly to, you know, for example, Maui or Kauai or any of the other islands yeah. without having to connect through Honolulu. So it affected the development, like the economic development of one of the states in our country. Yeah. So was it just because that had the right airport that could handle? Exactly. They, they had a big enough airport. They could only fly it into Honolulu. And it also had the biggest demand. That's why they focused all their tourism on that because they needed to fill a 747. You know, how are they going to oh, fill a yeah. 747 going to a smaller island? Yeah, they had to like really get, fill it up so it was worth it. So then the other side effect to that you might not be thinking about is that also leads to the development of niche airlines. Now there's a market 
for small airlines to fly people from Honolulu to the other islands or from Oahu to the other islands. So that's mm-hmm. why you get the rise of like Hawaiian Airlines and Aloha Air, who <laughs> initially that's their business is to take people from Oahu to the other smaller islands. Huh. It's crazy, the, all the little side effects of this. Okay, anyway, we're getting a little ahead of, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'm a little excited talking about this. <laughs> so in the 1950s, the International Civil Aviation Organization recommended a 90-minute diversion time for all aircraft. And this was adopted by many authorities and many countries outside of the United States. But for United States-based airlines, the 60-minute rule made things like flying over large bodies of water difficult and pretty much impossible for twin-engine jets. So aircraft with more than two engines were needed. So just to emphasize how adamant the United States was about this 60-minute rule, in 1980, Boeing's director of engineering approached the FAA director and asked the FAA director, hey, you know, the rest of the world is okay with a 90-minute diversion time. Is there any chance the United States can adopt that instead of our 60-minute rule? And in 1980, the FAA director said, it'll be a cold day in hell before I let (laughs) twins fly long haul overseas routes. Oh, man. (laughs) So they were not messing around about this. They were like, that is not going to happen. That's funny. So in 1964, the 60-minute rule we've been talking about was waived for three-engine aircraft. Essentially, the thinking is, if one engine fails, they still have two and they're fine. Mm -hmm. So this is what led manufacturers to develop these wide-body intercontinental trijets like the DC-10, the Lockheed L-1011 TriStar. Because these new regulations were more lenient on trijets, the popularity for three-engine planes grew, and they were favored over four-engine aircraft because they were more fuel-efficient and the maintenance costs were cheaper. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they only had three engines instead of four. They burned less fuel, and you only have to maintain three engines instead of four, so it's cheaper to run. They kind of filled this sweet spot between two engines and four engines because they had better range, better payload capabilities, more capacity, and they used less fuel than 747s and 707s. So with three engines, and you might get into this, is the one in the middle, <laughs> is it able to turn the uh, mechanisms for bo- either wing? What do you mean turn the mechanisms? Like the, the, how does it work? How does the middle engine work? The engines, they're purely to provide thrust. Mm-hmm. So they just push back. They push back, which pushes the plane forward. I know we've talked about asymmetric thrust quite a bit where there's an incident on planes. That's really something that's not normally done. Uh, you don't have to, normally pilots don't have to worry about asymmetric thrust, you know, which is like making one engine give out more power than the other one. Mm-hmm. It's not something that normally they would have to do. So it, it just operates. The only purpose it's there for is to propel the plane forward. In fact, one of the incidents we talked about, United 232, which was the, the plane that crash-landed and did cartwheels at Sioux City, Iowa, was a trijet. It was a DC-10. And they were having to uh, operate that plane with asymmetric thrust. But it wasn't involving the engine in the tail. They were only doing it with the number one and number three engine. Well, yeah, because that doesn't make... You couldn't do it with the one in the tail, right? Because it's not not asymmetric. It's it's centered. (laughs) Yeah, it's lined up with the fuselage. So... We talked, you know, here about why the trijets were developed and why they became popular. You know, this started really in the 60s. So I know you're probably wondering how much of a difference can this make going from a trijet to a dual jet? You know, is there really a big difference in fuel consumption, for example? So in 1985, that's when the FAA finally eased the ETOPS regulation from 60 minutes to 120 minutes. TWA was the airline that operated the first 120-minute ETOPS service. And they did it with the Boeing 767, and they flew from Boston to Paris. 
the 767 used 7,000 pounds less fuel per hour than a Lockheed L-1011 TriStar. So, yeah, I mean, TWACs, oh. there's 7,000 pounds less fuel per hour. That, yeah, they were like, this is a no-brainer. They spent $2.6 million on each 767 they owned to retrofit them to be able to fly ETOPS 120. Oh, so yeah. Well, also, I guess the more fuel you have to carry, it's like diminishing returns as far as your efficiencies. because Right, you reach a point where you're carrying fuel to burn fuel. Yeah. It's just extra weight you're carrying, which requires you to burn more fuel, which requires you to yeah, carry yeah. more. Yeah, it's just this vicious cycle, which is why, you know, we've talked about this before, which is why planes don't just like fill up on their maximum, you know, full tank of fuel when they take off. So these changes in the 80s to the regulations made manufacturers focus on the development of long-range twin jets. The airplanes like the Airbus A310 and the 767, like I just mentioned, became super popular. Because these new twin jet engines were capable of making these long-range transatlantic trips, you know, without having to go these crazy routes. Like before, you know, for example, Boston to Paris may have been a huge pain to fly because that's mostly ocean between them. Mm -hmm. You know, think about the route that they would have to take to stay within 60 minutes of an airport. It would be impossible. It would be this dumb flight that you'd have to take. Or even smaller, well, whatever, I don't want to get too far into it. There's a lot of economics (laughs) we can get into here. There's there's a lot of subtlety to it, but we're not going to get into all that. So just like how tri-jets were cheaper and more efficient than four-engine planes, of course, twin-engine jets are cheaper and more efficient than tri-jets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this eventually led to the 777 becoming one of the most popular wide-body planes. It's super popular. You see it all the time now. At one point, you know, all this is going on, there was this concept for a variant of the 747 that would have been a tri-jet. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, Boeing was considering constructing a three-engine variant of the 747 because tri-jets were becoming so popular. And of course, we all know the 747 is the big four-engine jet. This variant would have featured an engine under each wing and then a third engine mounted on the tail above the fuselage, kind of like the 727, just much bigger. This 747 tri-jet would have been shorter than the normal 747, but was designed to compete with other wide-body tri-jets like the Lockheed L-1011, the McDonnell Douglas DC-10, and... It would have had greater passenger capacity, payload, and range than its competitors. However, ultimately, it was unsuccessful. They didn't do it. A big reason why was the engineering that was required. In order for a 747 trijet to be structurally sound, it would have needed a brand new design of wings because the wings that were already used were designed for four engines. Mm. Boeing eventually decided against developing new wings for the plane. Uh, and another reason the plane failed is because of the pilot training requirements. Boeing wanted to create a plane that was almost identical to the regular 747 as far as pilots could tell, and they wanted to minimize the training needed for pilots to go from a normal 747 to a 747 trijet. This may sound familiar to people who've listened to our Max 737 yeah. Max episode. <laughs> so you see, this has been going on for decades. They tried to make the plane handle the same as a normal 747, but because of the lo- new location of the engines, they couldn't get it right. You know, this reason wasn't as important as having to develop new wings, but it was still a contributing factor. Because the 747 trijet wasn't working out, Boeing instead decided to take the idea of a shorter 747 and developed the 747 SP that entered into service in 1976. And it was used for the Tehran to New York flight, which was at the time was the longest nonstop commercial flight in the world. And Tehran, of course, is in uh, Iran. Okay. Have you ever read the fine print that appears when you fire up incognito mode? Let me guess, you probably didn't even know there was fine print. Well, it says that your activity might still be visible to your employer, school, or ISP. Come on, how is that incognito? To really prevent people from seeing the sites you visit, just do what I do. I use ExpressVPN. 
uh, whenever you're on Wi-Fi without ExpressVPN, every site you visit could be logged by the admin of that network, even in incognito mode. Plus, your home internet provider can see and record your browsing data, then sell it to advertisers. But ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts all of your network data and reroutes it through a network of secure servers so that your private online activity stays that way. Private. ExpressVPN works on all of your devices. Super easy to use. Just hit one button to connect and you're protected. It's so easy to install. I can't overemphasize how easy it is to use. You just click connect. You can even choose different regions if you want to connect. Connect super quick. Works in a super fast manner. You forget that it's even there, but it's there and it's protecting you. Uh, I love using it. It's so great. So stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash blackboxdown. Use our ExpressVPN link at expressvpn.com slash blackboxdown to get an extra three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash blackboxdown to learn more. Going back out into the world? No, thank you. But sometimes it's inescapable, so when the world gets too loud, I create my own soundtrack by popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds. Sometimes you need some upbeat music to hype you up before you see people, or sometimes you need guided meditation to help you stay calm. Uh, I was just flying last week. I was on I was on a plane. Could not imagine taking my flight without my Raycons. Had them in the whole way there, the whole way back, listening to music, listening to podcasts, just really trying to, you know, immerse myself in the things that I like. Raycons are the best way to listen. They come with a bunch of gel tips for your comfort. They don't stick out of your ears like some other brands. Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, for a really long time. They start at just half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. Plus, Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. So create your own soundtrack with Raycon. Right now, Black Box Down listeners get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash blackboxdown. That's buyraycon.com slash blackboxdown to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash blackboxdown. And we also wanted to do something a little different this time. We wanted to give you a podcast recommendation from uh, some of our friends over at the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, the SCP Archives podcast. We've worked with them before. If you listen to Black Box Down, when we did our most recent analysis of plane incidents in movies, we talked about, uh, I've talked about Die Hard 2 at length. (laughs) Uh (laughs) That was the episode. They were the ones uh, chatting with us. Yeah, and... SCP Archives is a weekly anthology horror podcast uh, where they have full cast acting, immersive sound effects, and an incredible original soundtrack. And if you're like, well, what is SCP Archives? SCP articles are those like UFO TikToks or like weird web pages with redactions and like conspiracy theories and and monsters and shadow governments. Yeah, it's like all that spooky stuff. It makes me think of like uh, the X-Files, like stuff you would see uh, on there, yeah. But it's a really great podcast. So if if you're looking for something just very like, like a radio play immersive and there might be a special episode that features uh, a plane and some wonderful voice actors. Uh, mm, I'm interested. Hmm. Like you said, I think that's the most impressive thing. It's like it's like a, a, a truly immersive like audio play or radio play or audio drama. Yeah. And there's going to be a, a special episode soon. So yeah, go uh, go check out um, uh, SCP Archives. Just search for them wherever you get podcasts. Uh, just SCP Archives, and then uh, give them a listen and subscribe. Uh, they're friends, and they make good content. Yeah. So. Aside from the rise of twin jets, there were a few other reasons why tri-jets failed. The Lockheed L-1011 was built to a higher standard than the DC-10. It had more redundancy and control systems, its engines were better secured, had better cargo door sealing, and was generally a little bit safer of a plane. Uh, I think we've brushed on this in the past. The L-1011 was actually a super technologically advanced plane at the time. It was tons of crazy engineering that went into it. 
But as a result of all of this, it was more expensive than the DC-10. The L-1011 also couldn't easily be upgraded because its tail-mounted engine was already at the maximum size it could take. And on top of that, Lockheed had struck a deal with Rolls-Royce to power the TriStar with Rolls-Royce engines exclusively. So for airlines that had built their fleets around engines from GE and Pratt & Whitney, this became a deal-breaker to buy L-1011s because they didn't have the training or the parts or the facilities for that. Lockheed chairman Daniel Houghton would later call the Rolls-Royce deal the worst mistake of his career. It's tough to lock yourself in like that because airlines have tons of maintenance, right? And they have tons of facilities built around servicing things. And if you know, you're introducing a part that they don't normally service, they're not going to want to change their whole process for that. Yeah, that makes sense. In the 1970s and 1980s, the DC-10 had a poor safety record and an unfavorable reputation due to several fatal crashes and design flaws. Uh, the safety record and design was improved, but by then twin jets were becoming popular but no doubt the view of the DC-10 being unsafe led to the downfall of this particular tri-jet. As a little kid, you know, when I was first becoming interested in plane crashes, uh-huh. even I knew at the time back in the 80s, I was like, oh, the DC-10 crashes a lot. Like I hear, I hear about that a lot in the, in the news. Mm. I have a question. You said earlier mm-hmm. the failure of tri-jets or like why they failed, but did they fail because weren't they like just, did they just kind of age out? Like were they were popular for what, how long? There were a couple of decades. I mean, probably six to say, let's say 20, 25 years. Yeah, that doesn't sound like they failed. It seems like... Well, they're no longer used. I guess, you know, they, they fit a niche. They were there. They were the right plane at for that the time. time. Yeah, because like failure sounds like they just didn't... There was like, you know, DOA. Well, I consider it more failure in that it's not viable. No one makes them anymore. Like there's no place at all for them. Mm. Nobody makes new ones anymore. But of the ones that were made, sure, some still fly. You'll see some in cargo uses. I see FedEx still flies them, and I see them landing in here at the Austin airport every now and then. But you know, aside from aside from FedEx, off the top of my head, I can't remember the last time I saw a trijet flying myself. Have you ever been in a trijet? I don't think I've ever been in one. I mean, I may have been in one when I was younger, like when I was only interested in plane crashes and before I, p- I could pay attention to what kind of plane <laughs> I was on. Uh huh. So I think I may have been on one, you know, when I was like in middle school, the first time I ever got on a plane, but I didn't pay. I was so excited to be on a plane. I didn't pay attention to what it was. Mm. So I'm trying to look here to see who still flies MD-11s, for example, which would have been the last trijet. I think that was probably made. And I see FedEx, UPS, Lufthansa Cargo, and Western Global Airlines look to be the only operators as far as I can tell, which you know, these are all cargo airlines. I think it, you would not you would probably not be able to fly on one at this point. The guy who said he would only relax the rules over his cold, dead body, did he die before? They re- <laughs> Sorry, that's-, that's actually an interesting question. So that, that man's name, his name was Johnny Lynn Helms. Uh, he was still alive. He, he passed Aww. away in 2011. He's like, ah! <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he, was, he was probably not happy about it. So he oversaw the FAA between 1981 and 1984. Do you remember what year I said ETOPS regulations were relaxed? Was it 84? It was 85. 85? Okay. I was like, right. So yeah. pretty much as soon as he was out of the FAA, that's when they relaxed the rules. Yep. That, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So he, he was still alive, but he had no, no power to uh, control uh, ETOPS regulations anymore. Mm. So kind of like what I was alluding to there uh, a minute ago, uh, since the year 2000, trijet production has ceased for almost all commercial aircraft. As of 2016, some business trijets are the only ones in production. So like private planes, you see a couple of them. Many of the old trijets began to be used as cargo aircraft mostly. Some were also used for charter flights, government service, military service. 
Private and corporate operators still use trijets fairly regularly. In 2008, Airbus filed a patent for a new twin-tail trijet design that had a similar layout to the MD-11, uh, but it's unknown if and when this will ever be developed or produced. Uh, in my opinion, they probably just filed it, filed a patent to protect an idea. They're probably not going to do anything with it. Uh. The last commercial MD-11 flight took place on November 11th, 2014, and it was operated by KLM. The last commercial 727 flight took place on January 13th, 2019 by Iran Asaman Airlines. And the last commercial DC-10 flight took place February 20th, 2014 by Biman Bangladesh Airlines. And the last commercial Lockheed L-1011 flight took place in May of 2008 by Lloyd Aero Boliviano. So, yeah, I mean, they're all out of service as far as commercial airlines are concerned. So the next logical step or the next logical question that someone might be wondering is... If twin jets are so reliable now, you know, to the point where tri-jets are phased out, are you going to see the same thing happen to quad-engine jets? Oh. Right? I mean, we've, and the only ones I, that we've talked about really would be like the 747, the A380, and the A340. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure enough, the same thing is pretty much happening. 747s are, for the most part, not made anymore. There's a huge asterisk on that. But <laughs> there's, there's, there's most commercial passenger airlines are retiring the 747s and not getting new ones. The A380 is a fairly new plane still, but even Airbus has acknowledged that it's reached end of life and they're, going, they're starting to deprecate production of the A380 and they've set a date for when they're going to stop producing new A380s. The main idea behind four is just dual redundancies or just you go faster with bigger planes? The reason a plane would need four engines is as if it's huge. So the 747 and the A380 were able to carry a large number of passengers. Mm-hmm. The twin jets can carry a, a, quite a few people, but not the same as an A380 or a 747. You know, the 747 is classic for having that hump at the front for, with two levels, and the A380 is a plane that has two levels down the entire plane. Mm-hmm. So the newer, more efficient twin-engine planes, for example, like the Boeing 787 or the Airbus A350, can carry quite a few people, but they're not as big as those other planes, and they only have two engines. So if they're being phased out, are there going to be more like smaller planes? Are there not going to be any of those big chonkers? Yeah, exactly. So this is we could do a whole other episode about what I'm about to say right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to get that deep into it. But essentially, airlines have kind of rethought. So when people think about flying, most airlines operate on this like hub and spoke system, where if you're at a smaller airport... You know, you take a connecting flight, you, you fly to a big hub airport, and then from there, you take your flight to wherever you're going. Some airlines like Southwest don't really operate on that principle. They just kind of fly all over the place. But airlines have kind of rethought that model. Uh, and the 787 was kind of instrumental in that, in where it's like, if you have a smaller plane like the 787, it's not as difficult to fill it up as it is like a jumbo. So mm-hmm. you can fly it between smaller markets. So for example, with these planes, a market like Austin, where we live, that's why we ha- the Austin airport is getting more non-stops to more cities because you don't have to fill a giant plane anymore. Oh. And also now these new planes are more efficient and can fly further. That's why I- I've heard rumors from the Austin airport that Austin may at some point get a non-stop Austin to Tokyo flight, for example, Ooh. which would never happen on a 747. Uh-uh. But if you're flying a smaller plane like a 787, you don't have to sell as many seats. So it's easier to fill up and then it's just more efficient fuel-wise. Exactly. Hmm. And here recently, uh, again, going back to Hawaii, Hawaiian Airlines launched a nonstop Austin to Honolulu flight. Which you've taken. <laughs> I actually have not taken oh. it. I, I know I fly United, so I connect through San Francisco. Oh, 
I know you went to Hawaii recently, so that's why I, did I, just, go to I Hawaii just assumed recently. you. You were like, oh, no, but it is, it is there. It's an option. Yeah. So the whole airline industry as a whole is changing. And, you know, ETOPS was the first step in that change, which led to the development of smaller, more fuel efficient twin jet airplanes, which is now kind of undermining this whole hub and spoke system behind air travel, which is making it easier for mid-tier market airports like Austin to get more non-stops to places all over the world. All right. Because planes are more fuel efficient and fly further. I'm less sad about the big chonkers going away now. Yeah, it's better. Now, like, so we talked about, you know, the 60-minute ETOPS rule. Now, what I just mentioned, the 787 has an ETOPS rating of 330 minutes. Oh. Uh, And the A350 has an ETOPS rating of 370 minutes. So that plane can fly pretty much anywhere in the world. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to worry. But how did it get relaxed that much from 60 minutes to 300? Is it because it just, it's more reliable or what? You nailed it, Chris. This is one of the things we've kind of brushed on a few times in the past. All of the incidents and all, you know, all these terrible tragedies that we cover, the industry's learned and things get better. On top of that, the technology gets better. The manufacturing and the engineering gets better. You know, we talked about, again, going back to that United 232 flight, they learned that the way that they were manufacturing titanium wasn't sufficient. So they learned new ways to manufacture titanium in this, what do we call it, like a triple vacuum system, mm-hmm. which makes it stronger and last longer, mm. which means that you know jet engines don't fail as often. So they don't have to worry about engines failing. And if one fails, the other one can handle the load. All these things work together to mean that planes are so safe now that you don't have to, this is not something you have to worry about. The biggest worry, honestly, that they have is what airports do they divert to? So ETOPS, like we talk about, like it's it's just the way we talked about it so far is this kind of esoteric thing where it's like, oh yeah, it's just a rating. It's just a number. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. You have to wonder if a plane diverts, what happens to that plane, right? It's like a plane may have to divert to an airport that an airline doesn't normally fly to. So if the plane lands at an airport that the airline doesn't normally fly to, how are they going to fix it? How are they going to get the passengers out of there? Again, going back to that Wendover Productions video I mentioned earlier, great video, anyone listening to this should go watch it. He mentions there's this uh, one diversion airport in Alaska called Cold Bay, Alaska. And it's along a route that planes may have to use it as a diversion airport if they're flying from Asia to the United States. And Cold Bay, Alaska, it's like, great, there used to be an Air Force base here. They've got a huge runway. Any plane can land there. The problem is Cold Bay, Alaska's population is 108 people. Oh, Right. So it's like, if a plane has to divert, if one of these planes with hundreds of people diverts and lands there, what do you do with all these hundreds of people? Like the town triples or quadruples in population because a plane has to divert. Yeah, they have to keep people like repairmen there. Right. So airlines have to have plans for how, in this example I'm giving you right now, how are we going to get our mechanics out there to fix it? How are we going to house these people? How are we going to feed these people? How are we going to get these people out of this tiny town over to where they were actually going to? So that all plays into this ETOPS rating, this ETOPS certification. Airlines have to show that they have plans in case a plane diverts to any of these airports. What are they going to do? Yeah. So in that Wendover Productions video, they give an example of a, um, an American Airlines 787 that was flying from Shanghai to Chicago back in 2016. And the plane experienced an engine failure and had to divert to this Cold Bay, Alaska mm-hmm. uh, airfield. And they say, you know, as part of that, the airline, they have checklists and, and, and systems for this, you know, when the cabin crew knows that they're going to divert, they immediately give another meal to all of the passengers on the plane. Then when the plane lands in Cold Bay, Alaska, the crew comes through and gives another meal to everyone to make sure that everyone's fed. American Airlines has to fly 
a mechanic or a mechanic crew out to them uh, when the plane lands. Then they arrange for one of their partner airlines, Alaska Airlines, and Alaska sends out a 737 to ferry people from Cold Bay over to Anchorage, Alaska, so that American Airlines can get their plane to Anchorage and get everyone ultimately to Chicago where they intended to go. Mm. So it's like they know when there's a problem, it's like, okay, we got to hit the checklist. Boom, boom, you know, boom, We got to go through boom, all of this process. Yeah. Right. Make sure everyone's fed. And also while they were there, I believe that they housed all of the, um, the passengers in the Coast Guard heated uh, hangar. That way they, they weren't cold. Hmm. So it's like they had a plan. And when something went wrong, it's like just like anything else in aviation. It's like we've got time to go down the plan. Checklist time. Let's make sure all these things are done to take care of everyone. I wonder that, that, that town of Cold Bay, Alaska, I wonder how much, like how many people have jobs in that town exists just because it is that sweet spot on a travel trip, you know? Right. How many jobs exist in that little city because of this, you know, like as an yeah, emergency? I don't know. Uh, but but it, it's also, it's probably used very infrequently. So I don't know. I don't know if it's, 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 it's often enough for there to be permanent jobs, but I'm sure there's probably niche jobs that pop up. Yeah. Like even just as an air, as an airfield for people to land on, there has to be someone who's, except for the fact that it's that good sweet spot, it may not be a viable place for people to actually land planes, you know, but they need that spot. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's only 108 people. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I'm sure everyone has like their part-time job that they kick into like, oh, a plane's diverting. Time to, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Let's go, go by and, you know, sell food to everyone who's, uh, who's waiting. Yeah, that's, I can't imagine living in so isolated with 108 people or whatever, but also it's not like they can drive anywhere. It's like they're, that's it. Anyway, that's a whole mm -hmm. tangent. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, there's a lot of other, we're, we're kind of giving a broad overview of, you know, ETOPS and uh, how it exists and all of this stuff. There's a lot you can dig into that happened as a result of this. Like I also said, the emergence of these more efficient twin jets that leads to better routes for mid-tier airports, kind of the the rethinking of the whole hub and spoke system. There's, it, like anything else in aviation that we talk about, it's complicated and a lot of things are all interconnected and you start to find these weird little tangents. Like if you dig far enough, we could have talked for a long time about this. I'm, I'm already at a point where I think we're ready to oh, wrap I know. Up. I was like, You're, this, this is going to be a shorter episode. I was like, we're yeah. 40 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's, I tried to keep it broad without getting, without digging too, too deep into any one of these things. But a lot of these, you know, little tangents that I pick on, it's like, we could just go down a rabbit hole and do a whole episode about that. These are all really interesting things. But I think, uh, for now, I think we've given a good, broad description of uh, why the trijet filled a niche for a period in time and why it's fallen out of favor and ultimately why it's kind of disrupted the airline industry as a whole for the better for people who fly. Mm -hmm. So that's it for this bonus episode of Black Box Down. We'll be back next week to our regular schedule uh, programming, our regular uh, coverage of airline incidents. But, but before we go, I, I, think, yeah. I think you, you had something to say, Chris. We got new merch and it's we awesome. We I, I, I love this merch. This is like this the new shirt that we have is well one, it's incredibly soft and comfy, but also it's got a I think it's a really cool design. Yeah, it's like almost like a schematic or an engineering drawing of a of a plane. I just want to point out the plane on our shirt has four engines. Oh might be out of date. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's also only got a... it it looks to me, I don't know for certain, based on the profile, it looks like it might be a seven oh seven. I could be wrong. But it's super cool and it's very comfy. It's got comes in two colors, black and kind of a, a navy blue. Yeah. Uh, but also, we got some new little like uh, decal stickers, and then 
also a really good sticker. It's just podcast for my co-pilot, which is yeah, it's like a bumper sticker. Yeah. Uh, anyway, lots of really good stuff. Um, you can find it in uh, the link tree in our um, in the info on this, or just you know go to store.rushteeth.com and search for Black Box Down. Yeah, I've got tons of great stuff. We're really happy with it. I think when we, we were doing a panel recently, we started joking that maybe we should have like pilot wings that are broken. <laughs> and we still haven't made our uh, Ask Me About My Bad Attitude shirt. We need to get I on know, that. I know, I <laughs> know. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Uh, and we'll be talking with you guys again soon. Bye.